One of the first people to see the risen Christ was the disciple Thomas. And his story is about how the risen Christ took his doubt and forged it into faith. The story of that meeting is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Please read along as I read aloud. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever had a nickname? How many of you have ever liked that nickname? And how many of you ever wished that you could get rid of your nickname? A nickname's a funny thing. We don't have much control over them, and once you get a nickname, it's hard to shake. Well, Thomas the Disciple had a nickname. His original nickname was The Twin, but then he got a new nickname. Unfortunately, history has given Thomas the Disciple a bad rap and has saddled him with the nickname Doubting Thomas. He got the nickname because of his skeptical but familiar words. Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. For these words, for this one quote, centuries of tradition have labeled Thomas the disciple doubting Thomas. But is it fair for us to call him that, to keep calling him Doubting Thomas? I mean, after all, Jesus said that only he who is without sin may cast the first stone. In one way or another, don't we all have doubts when it comes to matters of faith? Even those closest to Jesus had trouble believing. In a sense, we could all be accused of being Doubting Thomases at one point or another. And so today, as we think about Thomas, we need to consider that ourselves. Spiritual doubt is real, and spiritual doubt is going to be a serious side effect of this global pandemic. One of the assumptions that we as people of faith have made is that this pandemic and the fear evolving during this time will produce an awakening of belief and exploration as people turn to God. The conventional wisdom is that this crisis will make foxhole believers out of our neighbors, and that there will be a great harvest of people turning to the Lord. 
But you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb and say that while lots of people are finding strength, they are finding compassion, they are finding confidence in God's sovereignty, there are still plenty of others who think that prayer is wasted breath, that religion is a dangerous distraction, and that scientific reasoning is the only place where we should reasonably put our faith. Even before we ever heard the words coronavirus, the number of people who claim to be no, who claim no religious affiliation was growing. It was matching the numbers of self-identified Catholics and evangelicals. I mean, yes, there are plenty of people who are turning to God right now. But this pandemic is also leading others to doubt that God is even real, much less that God can or would do anything in this situation. People are asking some hard questions right now, not just of God, but of his followers. How prepared are we to respond to their questions? As Peter says, how ready are we to give a defense for the hope that is in us? Thomas was a stalwart follower of Jesus. But then his hopes and his confidence came crashing down when his beloved leader and teacher was hoisted up on a Roman cross. The fact is that crisis produces fear and fear produces doubt. And after what Thomas had seen, he wanted more than just hearsay evidence. He wanted real live proof that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Maybe we should think of him as careful Thomas or critical thinking Thomas. Unlike the other disciples, he held a rationalistic, scientific, dare we even say modern worldview because he demanded physical proof, physical evidence that Jesus of Nazareth had been raised from the dead. And you know what? He wanted to know the same things that we want to know in our own crisis. Is Jesus dead or alive? Is he just another one of history's dead teachers? Or is he our living Lord? Is God really real? Does he care that people are dying? Can he even make a difference? Or was all of that hope and all of that myth and all of that belief buried in the grave with Jesus? Did Jesus really rise from the dead. While the other disciples believed, still Thomas doubted. He was like the little boy in a magic show who keeps asking the magician to tell him the trick or to prove that there is an explanation for everything. How many of us are just like him or know people just like Thomas who refuse to believe in the Easter story until they literally see his hands and sighed for themselves? So in this situation, is it wrong for people to doubt? Is it wrong for us to question? In a world out of control, how do we deal with our doubts? The first step in facing our doubts is admitting that we have them. Jesus does not want robots. He wants followers. I heard a funny statement that went like this. Jesus came to take away your sins, not your mind. Jesus wants disciples. Thomas said to the other disciples that he would not take their word that the same Jesus who died, who, had been, who died on the cross had been raised from the dead. 
William Barclay has said this about Thomas. He said, he absolutely refused to say that he understood what he did not understand or that he believed what he did not believe. There's an uncompromising honesty about Thomas. He would never still his doubts by pretending that they did not exist. Even the great reformer John Calvin stated that we can never come to know God until we know ourselves. And part of getting to know ourselves is owning up to our own doubts. Are you owning up to your own doubts right now? Do you have questions right now? The second step in facing our doubts is to be willing to investigate them. You'll notice that Jesus' response to Thomas's request was not, no, 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 don't touch me, get away, get away. Jesus did not refute the challenge or stifle Thomas's inquiry. Instead, he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. You see, Jesus can handle our questions. He's not afraid of our probing and our seeking because he knows that it will all lead us to the truth. And that truth is that he is risen. If we are sincere in our doubts, we have to be brave enough and serious enough to look for answers. Christianity has lots of critics, and it seems like every philosopher, scientist, professor, and skeptic in just about every age has had questions about Jesus. And we should take those questions seriously. But you know what? Esoteric texts and academic articles and half-baked opinion columns will not tell you what you need to know about Jesus. You can't learn how to swim without getting in the water. And you can't learn what you need to know about Jesus. You can't investigate Jesus without going to the source and plunging into scripture, plunging into God's word. Are you willing to seek answers to your questions in the place where they may be found? The third step is to be honest enough with yourself to accept the truth you find. When Thomas finally saw Jesus, before he even touched his wounds, he cried out, my Lord and my God. Thomas was no longer a doubter, but a believer who was utterly convinced of the truth standing right before his eyes. Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. There's a difference between pure cynical doubting and questioning. Cynicism is the cheapest form of intellectualism. The cynical doubter refuses to believe for the sake of pride. He refuses to believe because he thinks that by doubting everything, it makes him sound smarter. But the questioner, like Thomas, is someone who asks the question, fully expecting an answer. The questioner is like someone playing catch. He throws the ball, he asks the question, expecting it to be returned. And he wants it returned even if he doesn't like the answer because he's trying to learn. The cynical doubter, on the other hand, just takes the ball and throws it as far as he can to no one in particular just to show how far he can throw it. Are you honest enough to accept the truth when you meet it? God has given us reason after reason to believe the truth of the resurrection despite our doubts. The resurrection is one of the best attested events of the ancient world. Proof is not the problem. And yet still so many people doubt. An honest person, when faced with the truth of God, 
has the moral obligation to accept it. When we explore our doubts, we must honestly ask ourselves, is it really the truth that we seek? Is it really Christ that we are searching for? Or are we really just looking for justification for something else? Are we honest in our search for truth? There's one last thing we need to notice about this story. Thomas did not face his doubts alone. He had the other disciples and he had Jesus. The first thing I want you to notice is that Thomas's journey of faith began with the witness of the other disciples. A witness is someone who has seen something or who knows something and then who says something. The other disciples cared enough about Thomas to tell them what they had seen. When he was scared, when he was broken, when he was confused, the other disciples cared enough to tell him, we have seen the Lord. Thomas had not seen the risen Christ for himself, but there were people in his life who had and who cared enough about him to tell him the life-changing news of the resurrection. The other disciples cared enough about Thomas to tell him what they had seen. As the Apostle Paul wrote, How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? People are scared right now. People are hurting right now. People are lonely right now. People are dying right now. And right now, people are full of doubt. Do we care enough to tell others about the hope that is in us now? Second, I want you to notice that Thomas's friends provided the witness, but the Lord provided the proof. In this story, Jesus Christ, the word of God made flesh, carries the burden of proof himself. Look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. They told the story, but they didn't have to explain it. They only had to tell Thomas what they had seen. And then Jesus showed Thomas what he needed to see. As Isaiah foretold, behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Jesus Christ is the word made flesh. And there, written on his body, on his nail-scarred hands and feet, on his spear-punctured side, was the proof of his love and power. And just as the word made flesh revealed the truth to Thomas, so the word of God reveals the truth to us now. Once we have given our witness, we lead people to God's word. We don't have to have all the answers. We just need to walk with them and lead them to God's word. And there, the Holy Spirit will lead them into all truth. So when we hear these words of scripture, look at my hands, feel my side. We are right there with Thomas meeting the risen Christ. And we don't have to be expert theologians. The Lord does not require that you have all the answers. The Lord requires that you be prepared to tell people what Jesus Christ has done for you, how he's made a difference in your life. As a friend once said, faith sharing is simply one beggar telling another beggar where he found food. 
It starts with telling people how Jesus Christ makes a difference in your life. It's like the blind man whose sight was restored by Jesus in John chapter 9. When questioned about Jesus, the man said, I don't know how to answer all your questions about this man. All I know is that I was blind, but now I see. The Lord is not asking you to have the apologetics of a theologian. He's asking you to have the faith of a man who was blind, but now can see. As Christians, we don't claim to know everything. We just have to go public with what we do know. Do we care enough to tell others what we have seen and what we know? God doesn't want us to check our minds at the door when we come to church. He works through both the heart and the mind. Jesus said that they are blessed who believe without seeing. But also remember that he did not reject Thomas, who saw first and then believed. We Presbyterians believe that the life of the mind leads to a deeper heart for God. Christ accepts both the belief of the mind and the affections of the heart as together they lead to the obedience of the total person. God does not define us by our doubts. Rather, God judges us on what we do, what we proclaim, and who we are despite our doubts. Doubts are natural. They are one of the features of the ability to think that God gave to us. The question is not, what will you do with the doubt you've got, as large as it may be? The question is, what will you do with the faith you have, even if that faith is as small as a mustard seed? Because it's faith that leads us to Christ, despite our doubts. Faith is the hand the Holy Spirit extends to us and uses to, uh, to grip us and walk us out of the darkness into the light. The Holy Spirit is like the friend who says, I know you don't believe me now. I know you don't understand now, but come with me and I will show you. He walks us through our probing and takes us to what is real. Faith is trusting enough to go, even though you have not yet seen. Just like Thomas, we are not judged by our doubts. Remember, God has no doubts. And even though Thomas doubted Jesus, Jesus loved him. And even if you are having trouble believing in him, believe that he loves and believes in you. And he gave his life to prove it. In the full sight of Jesus Christ, all of Thomas's doubts were stripped away. Thomas wasn't changed because he suddenly had all the answers. He was changed because he met the living Christ. There was no longer any doubt for Thomas that Jesus Christ is risen and that he is risen indeed. Even though this story of doubting Thomas takes place at the end of the Gospel of John, it set the stage for a new phase in the life of Thomas. Doubting Thomas went on to spread the gospel to Persia, what we call Iran, and as far as modern India. An ancient book called The Acts of Thomas tells about how this disciple, who had once hidden, who had once doubted the truth of the resurrection, came to be one of the great missionaries in the church the world has ever known. There are still Christian communities in India that trace their roots to Thomas the evangelist. Thomas, once the doubter, died a martyr's death at the hands of an Indian king's soldiers. But before he died, he once again prayed, my Lord and my God. You see, when you do find out the truth about Jesus Christ, you can't just ignore it. 
You must either accept it or reject it. And Thomas did not persist in his doubt, but became a believer. When, when Thomas did finally believe, he demonstrated his total belief in his confession, my Lord and my God. Isn't it amazing how God can take even the life of a doubter and make him one of the greatest witnesses for Jesus Christ that the world has ever known? People still want proof that Jesus is alive, but they aren't seeking it in the wounds of the nail or the puncture of the spear. They seek to find evidence that Christ is alive in the changed lives of his people. What evidence, what proof, what changes in your life would show people that God is real, that Jesus is alive, and that you have known him and that you trust him? A witness is someone who has seen something, who knows something, and who is willing to say something. May God give us the courage all to be witnesses of our encounters with Jesus Christ and what he has done for us in our lives. Would you pray for me? Lord, we thank you for this time together today, and we ask that you would receive us as your witnesses, that you would empower us to see and know the truth of the resurrection, and then to say something. We ask you, O oh God, to empower us, to give us courage, to give us the words we need, and to give us the testimony that will change the lives of others. We thank you for Thomas and the example that he set before us. And we thank you for Jesus Christ, who opens our eyes and empowers us to share his good news with all the world. Amen. Thank you for joining us today at First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio, Texas. We are so glad that you're here with us today, and we ask that you would please check out our website at fpcsanantonio.org so you can find out more about our mission to love Jesus Christ, to love one another, and to love the city. And now, go forth into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no person evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine full upon your face and the rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.